0: And please be seated. If you have a Bible, please open to John 17. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. We'll look at verses 1 through 5 and verses 20 through 26 of John 17. It's Trinity Sunday, as I mentioned earlier in the prayers, and uh, you might have seen that our songs have that theme the theme of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've got some pretty serious Trinitarian theology right here in our passage that we're going to talk about this morning. Please don't be put off by that phrase, Trinitarian theology. A lot of syllables doesn't make it a scary thing. Um, theology really is just thinking about God and your relationship with him. That's what theology is. And Trinitarian theology means thinking about God as he's revealed himself, one being, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see that in the scriptures. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it a lot of the time. Um, but it's, it's very important for us to understand and, uh, and embrace. That's what it means that we're Christians, is that we have this God in particular and not some other God, this God who's revealed himself this way. And so I know it sounds daunting, Trinitarian theology, <laughs> and that you're probably tempted to shut off your brain at this point, but really, um, what could be more wonderful than this? If you know something about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, what could be more wonderful? <laughs> In the church calendar, which we've called attention to over the last few weeks, uh, in the church calendar, all the big events have really been celebrated already. So we've had the incarnation with uh, Christmas. We've had the crucifixion with Good Friday, resurrection on Easter Sunday, the ascension, and Pentecost, Jesus, the the risen Lord and ascended Lord, pouring out his Spirit on us. Um, Now is the week after Pentecost, These things are all concluded. These things are all behind us in the church calendar, which is kind of a a way to help remember the events of the gospel and uh, frame our mind around, you know, celebrating the gospel and living in light of it. Uh, Now is the time of the fullness of the Trinity. That's why it's Trinity Sunday. After Pentecost, after the big events have happened, now we have the Trinity. Now we have the triune God. Now the rest of the church calendar year will be characterized by the joy of knowing this God as He has revealed Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as He's coming to the world to, to save us and to uh, win us to a relationship with Himself. So now is the fullness of the Trinity. And I love John's writings, um, the, the gospel of John that we're looking at this morning, his epistles, and uh, the revelation that we find at the end of the Scriptures, at the end of the New Testament. I love John's writings. He frequently reflects on the, the nature of God, the triune nature of God, and <clears throat> reflects on life in him, what it means to live with this God as our God, to acknowledge that he is the true God behind everything and live in light of that. And in fact, uh, John's writings, I've, I've asked myself kind of recently kind of one of those big life questions, um, which maybe is the only kind a, a pastor will ask this particular question. Um, if I could only preach one book of the Bible, what would it be? <laughs> if, if all I had uh, was one chance to preach one book, in front of the church for my ministry, and that was it, what would it be? And um, I, I thought I'd preach John's Gospel for the depths of it, the richness of it, the beauty of it. Um, sorry that I haven't done that already in years of preaching with you, I haven't done that one book yet. <laughs> um, so I've decided that after my sabbatical I'm going to start a new series on the Gospel of John. So. Uh, but that's what we're going to look at this morning in John's gospel is a, a vision of the Trinity that we see in Jesus' prayer that's recorded in John 17. It's a prayer to His Father. It's a prayer from the Son to the Father for His disciples, for His people, for the, the apostles. And, um, and not just for them, but for those who believe in Jesus because of the apostles, because the apostles went out with the word of the gospel and now you've got people like us who have heard that word and we've believed in Jesus, and so Jesus is praying to His Father for people like us, uh, and that's what we're going to look about this morning. It's uh, look at this morning. It's it's a prayer about the glory of God. It's a prayer about the glory of God, which we say is the ultimate purpose of our existence. One of our um, Documents that we look to for this church in our denomination. It's a confessional standard for us, is the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms, the question and answer versions of like what we believe um, about God, what we believe the scriptures teach about God. We we say in the first question and answer, you know, what's the chief end of man? What's your ultimate purpose? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The glory of God is the reason that we've been created. The glory of God is is the reason for everything. This is it right here in our text. It's a prayer for the glory of God. It's, it, this is what we were made for. This is why Jesus came into the world and did what he did, and it's the whole point of our salvation. That's big stuff, all right? So, uh, ready? Uh, that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me, let me pray, then we'll read the scriptures. <clears throat> Father, we're glad for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, the fact that the revelation about you in the person of your Son come into the world incarnate is good news. It's cheerful news. It's something that is to encourage us and warm our hearts and change our lives from the inside out. And so we pray that as we consider your gospel, this great word about who you are, about your Son. And about your spirit, that you would not only teach us, but that you would shape us, that you would change us, that by your spirit, as we consider your word this morning, we would be changed into the likeness of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then skip down to 20, read 20 through 26 of John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, the, the disciples, the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this is how you know that Jesus was a Presbyterian, because he taught through his prayer. (laughs) He took the opportunity to teach. Um, Humor aside, this is one of the most incredible passages in the Bible, and we are privileged to see into the very relationships of the Trinity here. One person of God praying to another person of God. No matter how much time I might allow for that to sink in, it's not going to sink in. <laughs> One person of God praying to another person of God, and this is no show. This is what God is really like. One person of God praying to another for you, for you. You're the object of his, uh, or the. You're the content, <laughs> of his prayers. Uh, so, what does. What does Jesus pray here? Because there's a lot going on. It's actually pretty simple language, um, but there's a lot going on. What what does he pray? What does the Son ask of the Father concerning you? Uh, I think you can kind of categorize it and shift it around and organize it into three main parts. The first part is that he's asking, he says, glorify me. Jesus says to his Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed. He says that in verse 5. And then in verses 20 20 through 22 and 24 to 26, he says, so that believers may be one, even as we are one. The Son says to the Father, we share a oneness, and I pray that they would share that oneness with us. And then thirdly, uh, the content of his prayer is that, so that the world may know the triune God. So that the world may know the Father and Jesus, the Son whom he has sent. Okay, so Jesus prays for his glory, and he prays for the unity of his people, and then he prays so that the world may know him and, and be saved, right? So glory is the theme that runs throughout this passage, and I think it's easy for us to think of the glory of God wrongly. It's very easy for us um, in fact, to think, even if you're reading it in the scriptures, to think of the glory of God wrongly. We project our own ideas of glory onto God, Uh, which is probably why instinctively it's kind of off-putting for us to imagine heaven as a place, an eternal place where we're just glorifying God, where we're just giving him praise. That can be off-putting to us instinctively it's because we're thinking about it wrongly, right? We, we project our own wrong ideas about glory onto God. We think of glory. This is something that we're prone to think, I, I believe, uh, about glory. We, we think of glory as something that can be accumulated, right? It's something that a person accumulates. Something that maybe we, we first lack, and then we perform, and then we can get it, Right? Something that we lack initially, that then we perform in a way that makes us deserve or worthy of glory, and then we amass it. People give it to us, right? Something that we earn that others will attribute to us if we properly deserve it. Something like their esteem or their honor or their praise or their adulation. Something that initially we lack that maybe we could earn that then others would probably Um, necessarily have to give to us because we earned it, That's our conception of glory, something like esteem or praise. So, we're prone to think, actually, when we project that concept of glory onto God, when we come to that word in the scriptures and we import that meaning into it, we're prone to think that God is out to get something that he lacked, right? Something that he lacked, that 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 when he created us for his glory, before there was creation, God didn't maybe have this glory. And he needed it or he wanted it. So he thought, I'll create something. I'll show myself to be good. And then they'll give me this thing that I've never had before. (laughs) I'll amass it for myself through deserving it. Right? It means he's amassing when, when he creates us for his glory. It must mean that he's amassing and extracting from us something that he deserves Uh, that that glory is something that we give to Him. That glory is something that we give to Him, like esteem or honor or praise or adulation. We do esteem Him. We do praise Him. We do respond. This is the way that it should be, is for us to respond to who He is with praise and the ascribing of glory to Him. There is a sense in which that is absolutely true. We want our praise of him to be in accordance with who he is and what he deserves. But here, Jesus is talking about glory differently. And I think uh, if we understand his conception of glory, and we kind of read that back into the rest of the scriptures, talking about God's glory, uh, I think we'll be better off. And this, is, this really is how we should think of glory when Jesus is talking about it this way. Um, glory is not something God lacked. And needed to create the world in us in order to get for himself. Glory is not something that um, he had to earn. That he he first didn't have that we would give to him. Um, Glory is something that he had first. It's something that he had before creation. It's something that God had in himself. It's something that the Father shared with the Son. That's what Jesus says. It's something that the father shared with the son before there was anything to share except for God himself. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine what what was before creation, but there was only God. And so if the father and the son were to share something, it wouldn't be something that that was outside of God. It would be God himself, right? So, Jesus asks to be glorified in the Father's presence, and I think what he's talking about there is after his death and resurrection, his ascension into glory, to be reunited, in a sense, uh, as the Son with his Father, to share the glory of God in his presence, asking to be glorified in the Father's presence with the glory that he had with the Father before the world existed, before there was anything that the Father could have shared with the Son, except for himself. How could the Father give the Son anything before creation? How could the Father give the Son anything before the world existed? What is eternal glory? What is eternal honor and accolades and praise and glory? If he gave the Son anything, it would have been himself. It would have been himself. before there was anything but God if God was going to give anything it would have been himself so what is the glory of God as Jesus is praying about it here what is it I think a better question is who is it who is the glory of God who was when only God was whom could the Father have shared with the Son from all eternity When you're talking about eternal divine glory, you're talking about a person, and you're talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So this makes sense in light of how the Scriptures talk about the glory of God, even though the Spirit is not mentioned by name here in terms of, doesn't say the word Spirit. In this text, John himself is prone to use what we would think as strange language to talk about the Holy Spirit. In, in uh, First John, he calls him the anointing. Um, Without referring to him as the Spirit, he talks about him as the anointing. So John uses language like this, but it really does make sense to think that the Spirit is the glory of God that Jesus is praying about here. The Holy Spirit is the glory of God that Jesus is praying about here in light of how the Scriptures talk about the glory of God all the time. right? So the Spirit is frequently associated with God's glory in the Old Testament. Um, Our Old Testament reading, for example, that Audrey read, says that the glory of God fills the temple when the Spirit took the guy who was having the vision, Ezekiel, into the temple, the the glory of God filled the temple. So the Spirit and the glory of God are, they coincide a lot in the the prophecy of Ezekiel and really throughout the Scriptures, but especially in that text that we read uh, for our Old Testament reading, the glory of God fills the temple. The glory of God fills the place where God meets with his people. And 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, do you not know that you, you plural, you, the church, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The the glory of God dwells in you, and Paul calls him the spirit. The spirit fills the temple as the glory fills the temple. So the glory of God, before there was anything other than God, Um, the glory of God is God. The glory of God is God. The glory of God is the Holy Spirit. So this is not, this is not the glory of a God who is for himself. A a selfish God. A self-oriented God. Right? A God um, who needs something and so creates other people in order to get something for himself. That's... This is not the glory of a God who's like that, that Jesus is talking about and praying about. It's the glory of the triune God who is, in himself, one person for the other. In himself, before there was anyone other than God, um, God is one person for the other. And the glory of a God like that is the Holy Spirit himself. Rodney Whitaker has a uh, commentary on John's Gospel, and there's a quote from him at the beginning of the bulletin on the first page where he says that glory refers to the revelation of God in all His beauty, of being and character. Glory, and he's talking really about like the meaning of that word in itself, as you find it in the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament. That word, glory. Glory is a manifestation of God Himself, not just a revelation about Him. Glory is a manifestation of God Himself. So God's glory isn't, it's just, it's not just His honorable reputation in our sight. God's glory isn't just an insubstantial, glimmering halo that makes us say, wow, that's impressive. Right? His glory, a lot of times we have this conception of glory. Where he's just like he's shiny. <laughs> and we say, wow. And that's glorifying to him. That's not what glory is. It's not something that we ascribe to him or credit to him because he worked for it. God's glory is the substance of who he is. God's glory is the weight of who he is. It's the essence of who he is, and he is love. That's what John loves to say about this God, that that God is love. That's who he is. He's the God who shares himself even before he created anyone other than himself with whom he would share himself. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as we understand him through the Scriptures, the the Spirit is God-given. It's God-shared it, he. um, The Spirit is God-made known. The Spirit is God-known. Even as the Father shared him with the Son before the world existed. I know you're trying desperately not to let your eyes glaze over. (laughs) I know that. Um, But man, this is the stuff of eternity. You tell me that there's something that could possibly be more important than this, and we'll talk about it. We're talking about God Himself. which is what we have insight into in this prayer in John 17. When Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed, this is what he's saying, this is what he's saying. As the divine, eternal Son of God, before the incarnation, before even the world was created, as the divine second person of the Trinity, before the foundation of the world, God the Father, loved the Son and gave himself to him in the Holy Spirit. And this is eternal glory. That's what God's glory is. The Son alone had this glory. The Son alone had this glory from the Father. This is the God who created the world in order to share his glory with us, not to get something from us, that he didn't have, but to share this glory with us. He created humanity in his image to share his glory, but we rebelled. That's the story of the whole Bible. We rebelled and we sought to get our own version of glory for ourselves. We distorted what glory even means and sought to, to amass it to ourselves. Apparently, this rebellion this wholesale, like, spitting in the face of God and walking away from Him and and from His glory that He freely offered us, apparently this did not put God off from His desire to share His glory with us. That's what kind of God He is. So the Son came into the world not just as, not merely as the second person of the Trinity, but as a human. The incarnation took place So that through his humanity, through the humanity of the Son of God, through his humanity, God might share his glory with us. God might be with us and give himself to us and give his spirit to us and share his glory with us. And it was now, as a human, as the incarnate Son of God, now as a human, Jesus prays in John 17 Glorify me. Glorify me. It might sound to us like a human being saying that to God. It might sound a little presumptuous. Glorify me, God. Glorify me, Father. It might sound a bit selfish, even, until you realize that this is the plan of the, Eter- uh, the eternal trinity, <laughs> that the Father would glorify the Son as a human being for us. So as the Son of God, he'd had this glory. He'd shared this glory with God from eternity, and now he would share eternal glory with God as a human being on our behalf. Humanity would receive, finally receive, the glory that God has always wanted to share with us, the Holy Spirit, God himself. And because he is who he is, because this God is who he is, because Jesus is this God and he is who he is, he didn't just want this glory for his for himself. That's not the point of all of this. He didn't want it just for his own humanity. He wanted to share it with us. That's the whole point. God wants to share his glory with us. That's why he made the world. And that's why he sent his son into the world. As one of us, he lived for us to restore us. To fix what we broke. To make reparations for our sinful disobedience, our rebellion. And we, when he came into the world in one last ditch effort to overthrow God and usurp and steal his glory for ourselves, we planned to kill him, to be rid of him, and we we did that. And even so, this was his prayer, to share his glory with people like us. And to think that the serpent had us believing that God wanted to keep us down, that God was only interested in his own glory and didn't want to share it with us. The serpent had us believing that. Sharing this glory with us now, according to this prayer, this is the, the arc of the whole Bible and this is the meaning and the goal of Jesus coming into the world, sharing this glory with us means our unity It means love. That's what Jesus is praying for. He wants to share. He's given this glory to us so that we would be one. It means our unity both with God and with each other. In verse 22, he says that the glory you have given me, just think the spirit, the spirit of unity, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. The oneness that the Father and the Son share That's the oneness that He wants for us and that He gave His Holy Spirit to us. He gave His glory to us in order to accomplish. So, in a sense, I mean, it's no wonder for us when a few places in the Scripture talk about the fact that we've already been glorified. It's not just something future. It is something future. We will fully see God face-to-face in the person of Jesus Christ and fully possess His Spirit and be transformed utterly at the end, at the end of all things, when we're in God's presence. But in a sense, we've already been glorified. That's the the full glorification. We've already been glorified because the Spirit has already been given to us. Jesus said it. I have given it to them so so that we may be one through his humanity, through his gift of his Spirit. We've been glorified with his Spirit so that we may be one even as the Father and Son are one. So this is the glory that the Father gave the Son because he loved him, it says. Jesus said, because the Father loved him before the foundation of the world, this glory, this Spirit is the unifying love of God. So the Father and the Son are one in their love, in the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God, and in the same way Jesus prays that we would be one. So he's praying for our unity in the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit then we have unity. This is a huge deal to us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The Holy Spirit is not just some peripheral character in the Trinity. He's the one who makes the Father and the Son who they are. He is the relationship that exists between them. He's their unity and their glory, and Jesus wants you to have it, that same thing, and he's given it to you. He wants you to, as he says in verse 24, to see his glory, to see it. That word is not kind of just the standard word in Greek, which is "blepo" for to see something with your own eyes. It's a word, theoreo, which you can kind of hear the English theorize, right? Uh, Jesus says, I want them to perceive this glory, not just see it, but to know it to perceive it, to know what what this glory is and what it means. Jesus wants you, and he asks his Father, he wants you to enjoy his own place in the Trinity as the one who has the Father's eternal love in the glory of the Holy Spirit. He says, Father, I desire that they also may be with me where I am. That's, That's not just a locational spatial reference. He wants us to be where he is relationally with the Father. He says in verse 23, "You have loved them even as you've loved me." So this this means our unity. When the Father has loved us as he's loved his own son, when the Father has given us himself as he's given himself to his own son in the person of the Holy Spirit, that means our unity because that's what life in the Trinity means. It means unity. And Jesus prays for this. He prays for our unity in the Holy Spirit, in the glory, and the love of God. He prays for our unity because it will mean salvation for the world. That'll mean salvation for the world. When this happens, he says, verse 21, that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So the people outside the church would see the unity of the church and that they would believe that Jesus came from God and that this is the kind of salvation that he offers. Jesus has already taught us in this prayer earlier in verse 3 this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they would be in relationship with you. That they would know you. They'd have you as their father through the Son. In the Holy Spirit. That's what eternal life is. That's the essence of it. Jesus already said that. He said, knowing God, having a relationship with him through Christ, perceiving his glory, that it's given to you as a free gift, that's the essence of eternal life. That's what salvation is about. And Jesus wants wants the world to know that. He wants the world to know his Father, to know that he himself has come from his Father, in order to bring us home to God where he is, to be with him where he is, to enjoy his own place in the triune relationships. And he says <clears throat> He says that this will happen as the world sees the divine unity of the church. It's the unity of the Spirit that we share because God has loved us as he's loved his own son. So the unity of the Spirit then, the unity of the Spirit as this, uh, the content of his prayer, it's a unity that overcomes anything. It overcomes even direct enmity and rebellion right? against, against God. The unity of the Holy Spirit overcomes anything that would create division, any division at all, political differences. We've got Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians and Independents in the church because that's not what we base our relationships on. We have the unity of the Holy Spirit we're together in Christ. And that unity will overcome all kinds of political differences. It will overcome any ethnic and national differences. I and mean, there's people at each other's throats because of ethnic and national divisions. The Holy Spirit overcomes that. This, the unity of the Holy Spirit overcomes those things. It's seen throughout history that the gospel brings unity, even in the, the most uh, difficult, extreme division— It overcomes gender differences. It overcomes cultural preferences and stylistic preferences. It even overcomes language barriers, as we saw last week. Um, The Spirit wants the gospel to be known, wants Jesus Christ um, to be known for our unity in such a way that He will overcome language barriers to make that happen. God's people, by His Spirit, will even forgive and accept one another when they've done real harm to each other. That's what the unity of the Holy Spirit does. It overcomes anything that would create division, and the world can't explain that. The world can't account for it. It can't account for a unity like that, and if it finds that unity compelling, if it sees that unity in the church and finds it beautiful then we can explain it's only possible with our God. It really is only possible with the God who, behind everything, behind all reality and behind our salvation, is a God of unity. The Father who sent his Son into the world to share his glorious spirit of unity with us. It's only possible with this God. Because God is triune, because in himself he is one for the other in love, Who's graciously shared his divine life with us, the more, the more we press into him, the more we know him, which is the essence of our salvation, the more we know him and grow in him and discover the unity that he's already given us freely as a gift in Christ and by the Spirit, the more we press in to him and his love, the more it flings us outward in love to the world so that they might believe in Jesus Christ. The fact that evangelism what that is, the fact that evangelism exists at all, is because God is triune. God's triune nature is the only reason we have anything to say when we're doing evangelism, or sharing the gospel with people. God's triune nature forms the contours of the gospel that we share. It's what we talk about when we're sharing the gospel with other people. God's triune nature shapes the way in which we do evangelism. God's being triune is is what properly motivates our evangelism. It's because God is love, one being, three persons, because God is love, and that's the nature of his glory, and it's the nature of our glory as he's shared it with us. Because God is love, our evangelism has to be loving. Simple as that. Not very complicated. So we lead with hospitality. It's kind of the way we do... Evangelism. That's kind of the natural way of doing evangelism. Being hospitable to people. Lead with friendliness. We're welcoming to others. Uh, For example, I know I've probably said this before. um, Like at our house, we don't have a fence in the front yard. And we're really glad. We kind of stumbled upon it that most of our yard is in the front of the house. We spend a lot of our time out there doing yard work and stuff and and playing. Uh, At our house, we don't want a fence in the front, blocking the sidewalk, because we want to be inviting. We want to be out there, and when people walk by, we can say hello to them. We want to be friendly. That's super simple, right? That's a really simple way to think about um, the beginning of evangelism or how you do evangelism. We just want to be inviting because God has invited us into His own home, into the life of the Trinity. People like us who don't deserve it, who have a hard time believing it, God has invited us into his home because God's a God of love, because he's a beautiful trinity. And so we want to be inviting to other people. At our house, we try. I mean, I really have to try. Jerry's pretty good at this. We try to get over it when visitors break our stuff, you know, because the visitors are more important than our stuff. Visitors are more important than our stuff, because they're people, and we're meant to love them because we're made in God's image, and God is people loving other people. You get back to the heart of reality, the, the heart behind reality is people loving other people, and that's what we're made for, and that's how we share the gospel, is by loving other people, and this is particularly relevant, I think, I don't know if… Um, You've read Tim Chester's book, Total Church, but he has this thing that he he calls community evangelism, try to do community evangelism, um, which really is very simply getting together with a group of friends, some of whom are from the church and some of whom are not. So that in the the intermingling, non-Christians actually have a chance to see Christians interacting with, with each other and see the unity that we have in the Holy Spirit. To see the way that we interact with each other, which is pretty otherworldly. When we open up our lives to each other, forgive one another, serve one another, really sacrifice for one another in ways that the world just can't explain, you got to get non-Christians seeing that. you got to do community evangelism. It's super basic. Just have a party and invite some people. Because right? um, that's, what, that's what Jesus is praying will reflect the divine love with an evangelistic effect, that people would know what Jesus is about. They would know God as he really is, and they would believe. So we invite uh, friends and relatives to our men's breakfast, you know, we've done a pretty good job of that. Almost every time, I think, there's been a couple visitors who aren't part of our church and who have real questions about Christianity, and we invite them to our men's breakfast, to the women's groups. we especially want to invite them to public worship on the Lord's Day. I think that's a great chance for them to catch a glimpse of the Spirit's work among us in our unity, something that's freely given to us as a gift through Jesus Christ. But that, that means we've actually got to have non-Christian friends that we're going to invite, right? family members or friends. Uh, maybe you have to be deliberate about that. I don't know if some of you remember Barb Tuttle. She used to be part of our church church. Um, she, I remember, made a resolution to spend equal amounts of time with Christian friends and non-Christian friends. If she was going to plan to go to coffee with a Christian friend, she's got to put it on her calendar to go to coffee with a non-Christian friend uh, in order to share the gospel that she loves about the God who's loved her. Maybe we've got to be deliberate. When we share the gospel, when we do that, we need to talk about the Trinity, because at the end of the day, that's what makes Christianity absolutely unique. And it's the best thing we've got going for us. <laughs> because triune God of love is amazing and beautiful in himself and toward us. First Peter 4 says that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So let him shine forth in your unity for the life of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this passage uh, is full of things that are well beyond us. But we want to dive deeper into them because here we see the life of the Trinity, the life of Jesus Christ, the God man, with you, who invites us into his own place in the life of the Trinity. And we know, even if we can't see all the ways that that means something for our lives, we know it means everything to us. And so we pray that you'd help us to um, explore who you are in the Scriptures, to learn, to discover, to be excited about who you are, most of all to be thankful for who you are and the fact that you've given us yourself, your very self, in the person of your Holy Spirit who lives in us and dwells with us, who makes us new as a people, who brings a unity that the, the world can't explain, that, that no one could achieve. But Jesus Christ has achieved it for us, and He's given it to us freely as a gift, as our salvation, so that, we can, um, so that we can know You, be one with You, and be one with each other in a way that changes the world. We pray that You'd help us to know what it means to be part of that, that You'd help us to celebrate it and to participate in this divine life, this life of one for the other so that our friends and loved ones who don't yet know you would come to know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.